Well, hello there, fellow podcast listener. <laughs> uh, this is Jared, and this is the Our Time Podcast. And uh, for this week, we wanted to talk about religion. Uh, I grew up Christian, but I would now describe myself as a secular person. And it was always kind of my understanding that my dad was deeply religious. But um, as you'll hear in this conversation, uh, his views are much more nuanced than that. Uh, there's going to be a book that my dad is trying to remember the name of. Uh, that book is called A Universe from Nothing by Lawrence Krauss. And that'll do it for the footnotes. That is the intro. And we hope you enjoy this episode of our time. Uh, okay, I'm going to start. So, um, Dad... You are religious. You're a Christian. Um, I'm not. And uh, I guess I just want to start off this conversation. Why? <laughs> why are you? Why are you Christian? You're, and why do you think that religion is important? Because you obviously, you know, you go to church and stuff. So you don't do that for, for fun, I assume. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Uh, this could be a 10-hour conversation. First of all, um, I don't know if I consider myself religious. Yes, I do go to church. And, um, and you believe in God? Well, that, that's questionable. <laughs> So, okay. So I guess I should um, start. Okay. With, well, let's break that down. Okay. Yeah. Let's. The, what does that mean? When I met with the current pastor of our United Methodist Church, when she took over from the former pastor, they had to meet the pastor meeting, uh-huh. and I talked to her, and she was a former atheist also which wow. I, I was, which I really appreciated. And, you know, we, we talked uh, and I, you know, expressed my difficulties with understanding God and, you know, whether he, there even was one or not. And I thought the conversation went well, but I was kind of like <laughs> um, surprised that after that conversation, uh, she, she later made a comment about me. I don't remember if it was in a group or just back to me, but she said, Tom Johnson's the most faithful atheist I've ever encountered. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I thought that was a little harsh because <laughs> I didn't mean to say that I was necessarily an atheist, <clears throat> but I would say that I was like, still probably agnostic but the more i thought about it the more she was correct i and it's um i like stephen colbert's quote isn't it isn't an agnostic just an atheist without balls <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
So I, you know, like, I would say that I'm rationally an atheist. In my rational mind, it doesn't make sense to me that there's a God. You know, if there's a God, I, I'm talking to you. You know, we can talk back and forth. This God supposedly uh, is infused in the universe, created it, and I'd, I pray and I talk to him, but I don't have a conversation like I have with you. And so, like, how come if there's a God that's so all-powerful and everything, he can't simply talk to me directly like I'm talking to people? So, and I look at a world where life is created, where life ex uh, continues its existence by eating other life. That's like a weird kind of like way to create the world to me that we have to eat other living things to, to exist ourselves. So when I, I look at it on, on a rational level, it's, it really makes me wonder if there's any kind of like God there. But I also look at it on a, what I would call the spiritual unexplainable level and like to quote my favorite guy, um, Shakespeare, on this. So in Hamlet, there's a quote that I love. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. <laughs> so I remind myself of that. You know, my rational mind may not, you know, be able to really perceive the, the reality that's, that's out there. So it's um, on the, what I call the spiritual view of the existence of God, whether or not there is one or not. I think of what I call the God incidences in life, and, and everybody has them. There's, you know, everybody has stories of somebody that they knew and loved was in a car accident and hurt badly, and all of a sudden they just had, like, uh, a feeling uh, that something was the matter with that person or that person just came to their mind just out of the blue and later they find out that at that exact moment that they had that feeling yeah. did something happen to the person so yeah. it, 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 you know you could say that's a coincidence or a God incidence but these examples like happen all the times and they, they cause me to think well to me that stuff it's like i feel like there's this human connectedness that we don't really understand um but i don't attribute it to god i just attribute it to us not yet understanding exactly what it is like uh one of my friends he has three it's three brothers and one of the brothers got hurt skateboarding really bad one day. Like he, he was going down a hill and he, he like, he hit his head and he like started going into a seizure. And one of the, the younger brother knew like something was wrong. So this is like this unexplainable connectedness. But to me, I, I just don't attribute that to God. So, yes. Yeah, so, so this is, that unexplainable connectedness is what I'm talking about. It seems to exist in the universe. It's mm -hmm. um, 
So it's um, the biggest problem with God, I think, is trying is trying to come up with a definition of what or who God is. And I think there's a big misunderstanding that people, the the view that God's like up in the sky is this like Wizard of Oz old, you know, like... Yeah, sentient. magical sky genie. Yeah. Is, um, I, I, I don't think that that's what God's like. I think that we make God in our own image. We can only understand things in human terms. Mm-hmm. So many religions, especially the Christian religion, <laughs> um, erroneously... De- defines God as as sort of like you know an all powerful human type being you know like who's and he's going to make everything right in the end and you know like I mean, he's going to judge you for everything you did wrong when you <laughs> when you, did you know die did you know and that, go there so did you do you know the image of Jesus is like some king's son or something that classic image of Jesus. Yeah, well, the it, was, cl- it was just some king's son that like they commissioned, and he was like, "Yep, this is what Jesus is." That, are you talking about because, the the classic hippie Jesus image? Yes, yes. Yeah. Because rationally speaking, I think that he he would be a person of color. He was from where where were they? Israel? They were in the Middle East. Palestine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, National Geographic did a study. And they created an image scientifically from, you know, knowledge of uh, the history of the time and everything. And this is what Jesus looked like. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely not the the hippie white guy. (laughs) Not the hippie white guy. Jesus was a dark skinned, kinky haired, bearded kind of guy. And... um, so that's what I say. We make we make Jesus in our own image, and we make God in our own image. And that's well, wait, but that's Jesus a was a real he, Jesus was a real guy. Like, I mean, it's debate it's debated, but I'm pretty sure the facts are on the side that Jesus was a real person. No, absolutely. But what I'm saying that the God the, part, the, the real yeah, Jesus yeah. that there was, and, and the the depiction of him in in religious art yeah it yeah, does yeah. not <laughs> yeah. you know coordinate with it it does not look at all like jesus actually looked he looks so wait, like but, the people of the culture look so people make jesus look like them yeah <laughs> so. yeah well you're kind of blo- i had thought you're blowing my mind a little bit why have you why do you go to you seem to not even really believe in god so why have you been going to church all these years <laughs> so you, you appreciate the bible and you just kind of pick and choose what you like from it um yeah well let me back up okay well well first just let me finish the the coincidence thing because i i wanted to make just like an example in my own life that, okay. And and we all have examples of our own lives. If you look at your life 
in hindsight, you can mm -hmm. often see how things worked to come together to have something like work out for you, which at the time you had no understanding was going on. And my, my current one is my move to Carson City. You know, I, I'm a surfer, love the ocean, and reluctantly retired and moved to the edge of the desert. So that's kind of like, a <laughs> and I, I didn't really want to do it. You know, you kind of know the story. Stephanie and I went back and forth and, you know, broke up at one point, especially over her moving to Carson because I didn't want to move there. I love Santa Cruz and the ocean. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, things went on, worked out. Bottom line, I ended up retiring early without, um, without feeling I really had my financial ducks in a row. And, but it just kind of like seemed to be the thing to do. I can't explain it exactly, but I, I just determined, okay, I'm going to do this. Well, mm -hmm. little did I know that like five or so years later, I was going to have colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that we are five minutes from one of the best cancer centers in, in the area, and it's associated with one of the best cancer centers in the West up in Utah, which is where I went when I had a recurrence of the cancer to get my, my second um, tumor out. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's just incredible to me that I'm like, situated here, and it's so easy for me to take care as best I can of my cancer. And I, for me, I get up and, and drive five minutes to the infusion center. You know, there's people that are driving five to eight hours to, to get to this place. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, it, it, things like that, I look at them in retrospect, you can call it a God incidence or a coincidence, but it feels to me that there is some unseen force it was kind of like guiding me to a place where I could be taken care of. So in that sense, I believe there's a God. And it's, um, and I, I want to have a relationship with that God. I want to be connected to that God or that force. When I'm talking, the God that I'm talking about is not the God on a throne in a chair. It's that life force, which I think is part and parcel of, did I just hit, did I just yes. hit my microphone? Yes. Did it thump? Yes. Okay. I'll try not to thump the microphone again. So it's, um, what I think of God is, is like I say, this life force, which I think is part and parcel infused with the universe, with physical reality. I think it's inseparable, just like, I mean, if you use the radio wave, you know, analogy, radio waves have both an electro, an electric and a magnetic um, 
aspect to them and the two are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. That's how they work. So it's, um, I, I, I think that that's there. And I also, when I look at just life itself, we're sentient beings talking to each other. Our bodies are incredibly complex. Science and medicine has done a fabulous job and they're always getting closer and closer to understanding how we work. And I totally believe in evolution, but um, it just, I can't understand how without there being some sort of intelligence and force behind all this, how we go from the Big Bang is simply physical molecules and atoms and things to living, breathing, sentient, thinking, conscious beings. And I, there is a book which does explain this in complete um, non-religious terms, leaves God out of it, which... Uh, Darn, if my Kindle was, I can't remember the name of the book, but I'll probably, um, I'll, I'll find it and bring it up to you later. But it's something you might want to read because it's an it's extremely good scientific explanation of how everything happened from the Big Bang to us, disincluding God from the equation. So, you know, we'll never be able to prove whether there's a God or not. So now the question is, why do I go to church? So the number one reason that I go to church at well, this... Wait, do you, would you consider yourself... A, do you call yourself a Christian? I, I am reluctant to call myself a Christian because I consider myself not worthy of being a Christian. I, I understand... I think how Jesus asks us to comport ourselves, and I try, but I don't, I, I'm so far from a, a representative of someone who lives their life as Jesus would have it be. I, I'm still a very self-centered person. I still, um, you know, Jesus thinks that you should care for others more than for yourselves. You know, it's, it's um, I am still fairly materialistic. You know, it's, um, I, uh, on the other hand, not to knock myself too much, I, I, I apparently am a fairly um, genial person. And a lot of people feel like that they, that I have positive energy and they appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah. I wouldn't but, describe you that way at all. But that's, um, but you know. The, I, the negative things you're saying. Like, I think you're definitely... <laughs> qualify as a good Christian if you want to call yourself a Christian. I'm just curious if like the ideologically, because there are a lot of stuff like, well, we'll talk about later, like the, the negative stuff that comes with religion. But I'm just wondering if you, because you go to a Christian church, do you consider yourself a Christian? Because you kind of are doing your own definition of God and, you definitely pick pick and choose the parts you like of the Bible. Well, the, there's a number of reasons. Well, first of all, the number one reason that I currently 
probably go to church and what I appreciate about church are the people who don't have the kind of conflicts I have. <laughs> there are people who I really appreciate them who really pretty much think there is a God uh, and, and connect with them and, and try to follow follow him and and live their lives with him and you you see like you know like just a, a light coming shining out of them they're you know they're great people and the just a couple of examples said uh, there's three older women in the church i just love people like this all three of them are in their 80s they they are still vibrant they still like you know like do all kinds of good works. They go to church and they're, they're not judgmental people. They're not, you know, we're not talking evangelical Christianity here. We're talking, by the way, United Methodism is a very open, it's a, not a doctrinaire, what's called a doctrinal church. And people are encouraged to think and to have different views and understandings of God. And they're not put down uh, for having different, you know, like ideas. Mm -hmm. And our pastor herself goes out of her way to um, explore not just the mainstream ideas, but what she calls the minority opinions. And it's accepted that we're not all going to ever be on exactly the same page as to how we think about God and what we think is right and wrong, blah, 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 blah. But we're all on this journey together. And the reason that I wanted, so, so one of the reasons, back to these three women, I just love these people. They, they're just amazing to me. They're, they're inspirational to me. So I figure if I hang out with people like that, Maybe some of it'll rub off. <laughs> so, I mean, these and every one of these women has um, had you talk to them about their lives. They've had like horrendous things happen in their lives at different points. You know, the the one woman lost twins. That's like really serious at birth. She lost every one of these women's has lost their husbands. Some of them have had lost multiple husbands. Their lives have not been idyllic, but they still shine this light force. This light force shines out of them and they have a positivity about them and a love that, that surrounds them that I, that I appreciate. <laughs> okay. So you're, You've you, where you're at now is definitely not where you were uh, growing up. I know that we went to a very very religious church, and I think that the fall. I don't really remember it, but I believe the falling out was that they they refused to marry you to Robin because she like wasn't baptized or something. Is that what happened? That that was the final falling out, but it wasn't because she wasn't baptized. She actually was. Let me think. Did Robin get baptized with when I went to the United Methodist? I'm not okay. 
I, I, I need to backtrack to how I got there. Yeah. And, and, and yes, and this is what I mean by it's a journey, not a destination. You know, everybody who is religious, it's not that your views and everything remain the same. I don't, well, maybe I can't generalize everybody. I mean, there's, yeah, because like there's the lots of Orthodox people. Jews are literally about their views always staying the same. Like, don't touch a word of the Bible. So you have a lot of different different ways to interpret the Bible. I like I like the way that you are religious because you don't have all this dogma, but you you did go to those churches. So how did you break away from that? Okay, this is um. <sighs> Well, how did I get to church in the first place? It was actually because of you. <laughs> so it's, um, I was an English literature major, and I had no church upbringing. I had been to church probably three times in my entire life. I, Pep and Walt. Really? Yeah, Pep and Walt a couple times took us to church. But, I thought um, that Pep was super religious. No. Oh. Not at all. Well, it depends on, again, this... Depends on how you define religious, but Pep was Pep more than Walt wanted to be religious, so they made an attempt to go to church way, way back in the day. And the the problem was Pep kind of leaned towards the Methodist, which interestingly is where I'm at now. And Walt didn't want to go to a Methodist church because he felt, and this was actually incorrect. But he felt that the Methodists were down on drinking. And Walt was a drinker. He was an alcoholic. <laughs> so he's going, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to a freaking church that, you know, says I can't drink. I drink. So, <laughs> so they went to the Presbyterian church, which Walt apparently felt didn't have an opinion one way or the other on drinking. <laughs> so... <laughs> And it, it kind of just didn't work out. But uh, Walt, Walt's basically like, you know, was down on church because he felt it was down on drinking. And drinking was really important <laughs> so to Walt. So, so Hail to die on. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but you fast forward all the way. So, so we never went to church. You know, I, I, re I recall one time them taking us to church and I, I remember sitting there and just really not understanding what was going on and old hymns being sung and looking at a thing on the wall and stuff that you were supposed to memorize that I, mm -hmm. I gleaned that the kids that were going to Sunday school were memorizing and uh, it was like a one-time deal. Mm -hmm. So I had no religious upbringing basically at all to the point that when it it came to studying literature. English literature is just replete with religious references. And there's, you know, Christ, you know, images and stuff. None of that did I get. I didn't even know what a Christ, you know, like reference was. So I actually, when you were born... I wanted to find a church and go to church because I recognized that literarily 
the stories were important and, and were an important part of white Anglo-Saxon culture and literature. And I was a, you know, wannabe writer. And I, I just wanted, I felt that I was ripped off, that I hadn't been, t that I didn't know the stories. It uh -huh. wasn't about, it wasn't about God, accepting God. I just wanted you to know the stories. That is so, <laughs> I started looking for a church. <laughs> and um, Pep, to her credit, when she heard that I was going to be looking for a church, says, well, don't join a large one. If you're going to go to church, find a little one, a small one. <laughs> she was actually right on. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, that's so, But um, so we had, I, we, I just sort of had the idea that I'd like to go to church because I wanted you to have the upbringing. It wasn't about you like accepting God and being saved by God or, or any of the uh -huh. theology stuff. It was about, about, you know, introducing you and having you know the stories. Mm -hmm. So um, friends of ours, you know, we just started thinking, okay, well, you know, we like to go to church. And Carrie, to my surprise, was actually open to it also. So friends of ours went to Santa Cruz Bible, and they had invited us to church before, and that's how we got to Santa Cruz Bible. It was just basically the, the first— Carpenters? No, the um, no. oh, I it doesn't can't. matter. It doesn't matter. Let's not say. Yeah, names I, I'm anyways. not sure if you know them or not. I can't remember their names. You probably, but um, anyhow, it was a It was friends of ours. They were a couple. They had a, a kid about your age, I believe, too. I'm not sure I'm accurate on the age of the kid, but they they were attenders of this church, which happened to be Santa Cruz Bible. So we went there. And my first attraction to it was, it was nothing like the old historic dead churches that, you know, I thought of churches being. They had like theater seating. The, the songs were great. They had a full on like rock and roll band with, you know, guitar, bass, drums, fabulous singers. And I was going, wow, <laughs> this is like way different than I thought church was like. <laughs> so, so I was very attracted to that aspect of it. Preaching-wise, I um, so it, it turns out this was a very conservative fundamentalist church founded in Santa Cruz by these people from Texas. So I... Oh, in retrospect, you know, the light bulb should have gone off earlier in my brain. <laughs> so, what was happening here? But um, it did it. And one thing I want to say about churches, you have to understand that I believe that the large majority of people that go to church don't even really fully understand what the theology is, buy into it. I mean, look at Catholics. You look at the Catholic party line, Catholics don't believe that. The large majority of Catholics practice birth control. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah. And so it's like... I knew I knew a family that did it, though, in yeah. high school. But they had like six kids. <laughs> so, so the thing about church is there's a social aspect to church. 
which is yeah, very strong. And that's, that's, I think, the main connections why people go to church is that social aspect and connections and stuff. And mm-hmm. the theology is secondary. Now, again, this depends on the kind of church and all. It turns out that Santa Cruz Bible was very fundamentalist. And, and yes, I did buy into it. I drove around listening to the fundamentalist Christian station, the Bible Answer Man, and, you know, their, their whole basic deal is you've got to understand that Jesus died, was physically resurrected, was God in the flesh, and you have to believe and accept that, and that's what makes you a Christian. And once you believe and accept that, you magically are saved, and your life gets better from there on out. And it's all about just saving people and getting people to believe this fairly unbelievable... um, situation as that's why it's so frustrating with the evangelical support of trump and they go and you bring up like well you know he was he was having sex with porn stars right after the birth of his child cheating on his wife well that was before he was saved (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you can just okay well like how many times do you get to just say you're sorry and just be washed of your sins like infinitely or (laughs) That, that there, there's a really great article in the New York Times today. Check it out uh, about. Um, I saw. I the think it's that they interviewed. Um, was it in Iowa? I forget where, but somewhere in rural America, they uh, talked to you know Christians and and why it is they support Trump and and pretty much all of them don't condone like his behavior and how he is, but they feel that he's standing up for them. And for even though he's a clearly the first atheist president. Yep. So Come it's on. A, he's not he's not a Christian or whatever. I exactly. They, 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 he they, certainly yeah. doesn't practice it. I, I you're preaching to the choir. But like I said, <laughs> the, the the article was really interesting. It really gives some insight. That was weird. Hello. Hello. Okay. Okay. The, the it'll say okay. Just go. <laughs> so. um yeah, I walked into the church. It's um, so I studied with one of the pastors, and I read the Bible in a very literal way, uh, as they were doing, and I, in a very literal way, accepted Jesus, you know, as my personal savior. It's kind of a funny story, actually. The night that I did that, uh, me being me, I don't just jump into things. I did a lot of study, and I read, you know, the the gospels and everything. And I decided that I was going to, that it was all true, that Jesus was resurrected, was God, everything, except him. I walk out the door. This was on, um, I forget the name of the street that we lived on where you were first born. I look up in the sky and there's like, I see this light streaking across the sky and it starts like, expanding with a big trail behind it and like like a comet or something i'm thinking oh my god you know he's coming right now just in time <laughs> 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 it, it, it turned out i found out the next day that was like a a, a test of missile fired from vandenberg air force base that was close to the area <laughs> but, <it> was, <laughs> but um so anyhow uh, life went on in that church 
And, and the first big problem I had with it was we go in there one day during an election cycle and they had put under everybody's chair a little pamphlet that basically suggested who you should, they felt Christians should vote for. Mm. And every single one of those candidates that they were supporting, I felt were anathema. (laughs) (laughs) I was, yeah, you gotta be kidding me. I know these guys and I know their politics and no way am I voting for them. And I can't believe that this place is like, you know, actively suggesting that we, you know, go this political route. Mm -hmm. And, in my mind, politics, you know, in in the United Methodist Church, which is quite liberal, it's it does its best to understand that there's people of conservative views and there's people of liberal views, and to try not to tell people one way or the other how to vote, but just to try to like get people to understand how Jesus would like us to live our lives <laughs> and how to relate to other people. And um, so anyhow, that was the beginning of the end for me. That really was um, a lightning bolt to me. It's like, what am I doing in this place? (laughs) And then, you know, Carrie and I got divorced and, and Robin and I got together and she was going to the church and yes, when we went to get married, we went to ask them to marry us, and they wouldn't, not because th- their criteria to get married in the church, you had to go through this whole like um, class, which I wasn't uh, totally opposed to, but the class happened to be on a day that I worked, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't do it. So I said, you know, and I said, well, no, you know, like if you, you the way we do it is you've we don't marry anybody till they like go through this class. And you can imagine what the class was like, you know, telling yeah. you <laughs> so, from a fundamentalist view, <laughs> how like a husband and wife should, you know, relate to each other. And, uh-huh. but so, so anyhow, um, that, that, um, set me, that was the final straw that, that sent me out church shopping uh-huh. And so the the first church that I shopped was like Pep said, <laughs> a tiny little like you know um, happened to be United Methodist Church on Seventh Avenue, and I walked in there, and I met the pastor who turned out to be a surfer my age, really great guy, and. I kind of like poured my heart out to him as to what was going on. And he said, well, it sounds like you and Robin need to get married. I said, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Would you marry us? He said, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so like, um, you know, we went over to that church and it happened to be a United Methodist church. And so Alpha married us. Unfortunately, we got divorced. So it's... <laughs> but you know, I keep trying. I'm on my third time now. <laughs> I don't lose the faith. You know? 
But um, to my amazement, I discovered that Scott Kennedy, the totally liberal peacenik mayor of Santa Cruz, was a member of the of the United Methodist Church in Santa Cruz. And Daryl Darling, who is a big mover shaker in democratic liberal uh, political circles, was a member of the United Methodist Church. So I'm going, I can't believe it. You can be a Christian and vote for the people that I would vote for. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Hillary Clinton's a United Methodist. Uh, so it's um, so it, it was great. It was just like, uh, and I just couldn't, like I say, I was just amazed that um, here were my people <laughs> in terms of, and it's not that I don't want to make it out to be because I, I don't like to politicize church and i think the church should do its best not to be political and not to tell people how to vote or whatever but i discovered that were there was a huge amount of united methodists who thought just like me politically mm -hmm. and that was that was helpful so, so it seems like it sounds like it's more for you it's more about the community aspect and i don't know it seems like stuff that i never got from you like i never got like you never said like anti-gay anti stuff growing up or i don't even know how you feel about abortion how do you feel about abortion i i've it's been like I've been responsible for abortions. I'm totally in the right to life um, camp. I think it's sad that abortions happen, but I totally understand why they do. And I believe hook, line, and sinker, the, the um, liberal thing that it's the woman's choice. It's her body, and if something's growing in her body. Yeah. Um just to clear things up, you just said that you were in the right to life camp, but you're clearly pro-choice. Um, I'm just wondering how you get there. So is it, is, a, it a, is it a harm reduction principle? Is that how you justify it? And Because you're clearly not, this is not what the Bible says. Well, actually, the Bible is for abortion in certain cases. I have there, There's a quote. It's like if for... Um, adultery or something you can you can have an abortion so it's kind of a lie that the bible is but you know the evangelicals are anti-abortion but, but you need, need to understand that the, the the church just like the political culture in the country right now is basically split 50 50 uh -huh. and so it's the evangelical church is serious right to lifers and the the mainstream liberal churches don't condemn abortion that you know everybody would like to see that abortion happen in the first place the the incredible disconnect to me is the evangelicals who if they're so against abortion why are they so also against birth control <laughs> and planned yeah. parenthood because if, if the best way to 
eliminate abortion is to have people practice successful birth control so they don't get yeah. pregnant in the first place if they're not ready and willing to be pregnant. Yeah. No brainer to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, the, the, this is the bizarre evangelical fundamentalist disconnect. And you, you need to understand that that's the fundamentalist view, the literal interpretation of the Bible, the, the obeying the rules, you know, exactly as they are. God said it <laughs> there. Thus, that's how it is. First, mm-hmm. there's the mainstream in ch- churches interpretations of the Bible isn't like that. They look mm-hmm. at the Bible as cultural stories of the Jewish sect, uh, the Adam and Eve, you know, Garden of Eden story is looked at as a campfire tale that people told, similar to like, I don't know if you remember when we went camping and we got that really great coyote book about, it was a Native American yeah, yeah, yeah. book about the, the coyote stories. Well, it was like that, you know, people told stories. And the Bible is the history of the the Jewish culture, and mm-hmm. and there's you <laughs> if you want to take the yeah it's just incomprehensible that the fundamentalists can go the, the route that they go because if you read the Bible and you see all the stuff that's in it, there's all kinds of bizarre things going on in there. <laughs> so, I know. Like, and so it, it's just, it, it's, it's a semi-accurate portrayal of the culture and what they went through and some of the heroes of their culture and their relationship to God and how that worked out. And none of their heroes is perfect. You know, King David, one of the made heroes who wrote a lot of the Psalms who were very beautiful, had had kind of like a woman problem. He was a philanderer, actually went to the extent of having the husband of a woman that he got it on with sent to the front lines and killed. So... (laughs) And this is one of the the heroes of the Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it's a there's it, it's not a matter of pick and choosing what you like and don't like. It's a matter of looking at the thing as a whole and trying to understand the gist of it and 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 what it's pointing to. That's what. And so one of the reasons I go to church is I'm actually not that into this. I don't want to spend my whole life studying the Bible, understanding the culture. You know, I've done a fair amount of it. I've, you know, read who wrote the Bible and, you know, read different books. But it's really not that much my thing. I don't want to go to divinity school. I don't want to figure all this stuff out. I want to pay a pastor who's wired up that way, who has that interest, who has done that study, to then be able to explain this to me. <laughs> so, and, and that's what happens. And you'd be very surprised. That I don't think that you understand at all the messages that are being preached from the church that I go to. And yep. so... Um, uh, just today, since you were late, you know, we got their churches online and she just did a 
great message about that how horrific it is and sad it is that people are coming to blows and disagreements right now and everything. That's not how Jesus wanted things to be. And ended with a fabulous modern song by these two people in the church that are... Um, that sing and play guitar. It's a great song, Be Kind. I should send it to you. That um, Not a church song at all. A, a song that yeah. they discovered at a, at a rock and roll concert that they went to that, that just blew their minds when just that, the guy did this song, which is um, just very beautiful, you know. Um, well, no, call, I, I, call, I, call for people to... To, to love each other and that's that what's the line in a world that's seems to have lost its mind be kind you know like is sort of the refrain you know like yeah. so um i mean i think i i i do think that religious people get a bad rap because we secular people I guess on the left kind of focus on the extremes and we don't really accept that there's you know, like you, like, and I have some of my best friends are, are very religious. So, you know, it, it's the hypocrisy is annoying, but at the same time, I think we're all hypocrites in certain ways. Like I eat meat, but I care about animals, right? Like I, I, I travel I like to travel, but I think that global warming is a serious issue, yet I fly in airplanes. But it's just like when we see... So people will they'll say, well, you know, people use religion or Christianity to justify slavery, which is true. But then Christianity was also a huge part of the abolitionist movement because they recognized that it was moral, morally abhorrent to treat a human like that. But there is also sections in the Bible, like Leviticus has like a very detailed notes about how to treat your slaves. He's also the guy who says a man should not lay with another man. So take that for what the anti-gay guy also has detailed notes on slavery so <laughs> that's why it feels like picking and choosing from the outside and, and but there's all these different ways to be to be religious i guess yes and there's very different way like uh, <laughs> this is i mean it gets so complex and this is why i go to church and go to church with a pastor who I consider grounded and understands the history, the culture, and can explain these things. You know, like uh, we in this study group I'm in, and it's not a Bible study group. I, there's this group that grew out of the previous pastor started it up. We call ourselves Faith Explorers. And um, our cardinal tenet is we do not advocate what to believe. That's not what we're about. And we don't sit down and like pull out the Bible and study it. We, we study different works that we think like e exemplifies what faith's about. One of them that was really good books that we read was the, um, oh, pounded the thing with my nails, fingers, uh, the Faith Club, which is a dialogue between after 9-11, these three women, a, a, a Jewish woman, 
uh, a Christian woman and a Muslim woman are freaked at 9-11 and what happened and realized that they need to talk and they need to understand each other. And it's really a great book. They dialogue and, you know, and they, they see, come to see their similarities and differences and accept them and, and understand that, you know, it's not, it's not about, <laughs> you know, finding the right religion in the right way, you know, like this. So it's very interesting. Um, so, uh, as far as the, the hypocrisy thing, which you cite, is valid and is the number one reason that young people these days um, say that they're turned off by church is, is, is the hypocrisy. People aren't walking the walk, mm-hmm. walking the talk. And, um, but one thing to understand is... is um, I mean, one of the reasons I go to church is I understand that I'm not the great example of walking the talk and I'm trying, I want to do better. You know, that the concept that you're sitters, everybody's a sitter together. And I know the sit word has all kinds of like, you know, repercussions to it that, that I'm not meaning to allude to, but people, one of the reasons people go to church, at least me, is I fully understand I'm not perfect. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, it, it, and I'm talking about in, in perfect love and relationships to others. And, mm-hmm. and I, and, and churches is helpful in steering me to be a, a better, more loving relational person than I am mm-hmm. naturally. And like I say, the, I, I have those 80-year-old women that I model. And just your reference to Leviticus, we, we read a whole book on homosexuality in the Bible. There's, there's, there's answers, <laughs> and it's too, too long to go into now, but this is why I go to church and like a pastor, like I say, who's grounded and understands the thing. There's... On this fun, on the fundamentalist, literal surface level, that sounds like the Bible says that homosexuality is ungodly, <laughs> is no, not accepted not by God. With another man. But That's there's whole other ways <laughs> to look at that and understand that. One thing, just one parts of that, that was in reference to there was a lot of when. When one culture conquered the other, they would rape people. Mm-hmm. And so what that, what that specific reference was to was people would to degrade the, the men in this culture oh, that they Jesus. had taken over would rape the men. Mm-hmm. So it, it was saying and and they would rape women too is is part of the degradation of that you do when you take over i guess but a better way to say that would just be like don't rape though yeah so (laughs) you don't have to exactly so he said a a man another i don't know i know i know what it says and it uh, on its very surface it very much sounds like as well but you know if you this is what i've heard yeah from you know like the pulpit and the churches that i go one of the explanations of that is mm-hmm. the 
gist of that, what it was saying, don't rape the people that you conquer. Yeah. You know, don't good, good um, philosophy. I'm so, that's, <laughs> that's not godly. <laughs> so yeah. it is that's the ungodly part, not the actual, you know, act itself. And but it's um so you know the United Met but this is interesting because I wanted to kind of walk around to this. So it's extremely interesting to me, as I said, when I first went to church, the fundamentalist church looked cooler <laughs> than the the mainstream church. And you know, now I go to a church which has it's an old 160-year-old stone-built building here in Carson City with pews and stained glass windows, and it's and and they do lots of times sing these old st- hymns, which put me to sleep and I can't stand. <laughs> but but they also sing good songs too. And when we were able to have ser- services, they have three services one traditional and and one cool where they have like you know actual electric guitars and music and the other one the traditional choir and hymns and i kind of went to the different services like but what i'm getting at is i still don't feel entirely comfortable in that setting <laughs> it just i feel like i've walked into a, a historical tomb <laughs> so and and uh, but and it doesn't, what's it, the setting and the music doesn't reflect the preaching. And in the, and the same is true of like Santa Cruz Bible, the setting and the music doesn't reflect their preaching. They're, they're out of sync. Yeah. So it's, um, I don't, I fully understand why people who don't go to church would would um if they were thinking of church or whatever would walk into a church any church and and feel the love you know it's just like a weird experience it feels like an in club and it's mm-hmm. and it's it's really hard to get around that there's I oh so what I was the United Methodist Church for example big mover and shaker during the anti-slavery movement they were on the right side of history there but right Are that now, old really yeah the Methodists have been around for a long time founded by John Wesley uh, guy English guy and so um, they were they were part of the abolitionist movement yeah so they they were mm-hmm. part of that movement. But right now, is a, the United Methodist congregation is a worldwide congregation. It's been around a long time. It's big. And right now, it's about to split in two over the gay issue. Oh. The, the, the Western congregations uh, preach what they call inclusiveness, and they're all for it, and they don't judge gays, and they have no problem marrying gays. We have a number of the gay, gay couples in our church. They're great really cool people and um they're not judged and our our pastor has no problem marrying gay people but the united methodist church has its book of discipline 
<laughs> which has evolved over the years and is similar to the laws that of the time of the Pharisees that Jesus railed against. I mean, they, it's, it's like a legal document and it's very homophobic. And it very specifically says that you do not marry gays and it does not condone homosexuality. So yeah. the, the, the liberal Western um, congregations just like blow that off. But mm-hmm. it's come to a head there's just recently, it's not so recent now, it's like almost a year ago, a big convention of the United Methodists came together to vote on this, and they voted to stick with the Book of Disciplines ideas. And and what's moving this the most is that the African congregations especially have got a serious problem yeah. with accepting homosexuality. And they and have... You're talking literally Africa? Yeah, literally Africa. So it's, yeah. they're, they're the ones that are the most opposed to the homosexuality thing. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's an institution. It has got majority vote rules. And the vote went against the liberal people. So right now, <laughs> right now it's all tied up in a legal battle. There's people that say, well, you can't, you know, okay, you've made this decision, but this decision doesn't, con- you know, like align with Christ's values and stuff. And it's an illegal decision. <laughs> so, but um, I think that the, the, the people of the liberal persuasion, of which I'm one, do not want to be associated with the church that... It expresses, you know, what's the opposite of inclusiveness? I forget. There's a name, um, but um, in any event, it's an issue, and it's being worked out as we speak. And it's really complicated because the church is large. There's money involved. You know, when you hmm. when you split up, how does that work? You know, who owns the churches? Actually, the major body or or the congregations? We got pastors who are have a retirement which is you know like funded by just like all retirements investments and stuff and well how's that work you split the church in half you know like mm-hmm. who where's the money come from for you know the people it's 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 it's, it's incredibly complicated but mm-hmm. it's um but the liberals are adamant about not being part of a church that espouses non-inclusiveness and and condemns homosexuality and the other side is equally uh, unwilling to be part of a church that allows this kind of liberal nonsense mm-hmm. so like i say this is just it's reflective that it's just like politics today there's this split mm-hmm. and the split's so serious that the two sides just there like is no compromise. <laughs> yeah. And that that's where we're at today. And um uh the message today by our pastor was really really good kind of addressing this. We just had a situation last night in South of Carson City. There was a protest over this sheriff who dissed the Black Lives Matter movement 
movement and intimated that he wasn't going to send his cops to help somebody who called 911, oh, who was Jesus. a Black Lives Matter supporter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and so there was a protest down there, and there was people from the liberal side protesting this jerk, and, you know, like, that he said that. And on the other side, there were people who came out to support the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of name-calling, and it came close to violence, and it got really ugly. And um, our the pastor, you'd have to listen to the message to get it. She walked through the whole thing. And basically, that's not how Jesus wanted us to get along. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's it it's it's really difficult. This is this is is this is global. Mm-hmm. It, there there is just this. Never before that I can think of in history has there been such just an intractable stance of two opposing viewpoints. The conservative and the liberal views just can't find middle ground. They used to be able to compromise and find middle ground. And now they can't. And I get it. Uh, from my liberal point, no, I'm not going to accept. <laughs> I'm not accepting anything other than full inclusive acceptance of homosexuals i'm not there's i don't see there's not a compromise there i'm not going to say well yeah you know like you know it's (laughs) it's it's just um there's and the other side equally is is entrenched their way Mm -hmm. so it's it's it you know it's confounding and I guess, circling all the way back to why I go to church, I mean, God is who you turn to when you can't make sense of anything. And you, <laughs> and you have a hope and dream and wish in you that there's, that there's, that there's a bottom line sensible <laughs> um, being or, you know, like, uh, I don't know what to call it. Force, I guess. Force, yeah. you know, like in 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 the universe, and 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 the prayer and hope of religious people is that there's a force for good that ultimately can triumph over evil, and you know, evil exists. You know, people. Mm-hmm. So it's um. And it's kind of one step forward, two steps back in a lot of ways. You look at society today, and we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with the church and the religious institutions being on the right side of things, and sometimes them being on the wrong side of things, but ultimately everybody kind of like ultimately comes together in what seems to be a progressive movement force pushing things to become more equitable, more loving, more equal. So that's, that's your hope. And it starts with the individual, you know, that's part of going to through church church. If individuals can, 
can be beacons of that light and love and not buy into the hate and other side of things, that is how the change comes about. Yeah. But again, it's a 50-50 split. You would think, I would think that religion and Christianity would be on board 100% with my liberal <laughs> feelings, but it's not, it's split. There's the, it's, it's half, half the churches are, are going the loving, accepting way. And the other half are going the doctrinal, you know, like God's way or the highway way. Yeah. It's well, frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you want to think we like to think that we come to our beliefs through rationalization, but the truth is, is usually we're kind of guided by intuition and then we work backwards to justify the position that we came to. Um, but just speaking of kind of religion in general and like it, it's, it's really all these things we're talking about are frustrating, but just generally speaking, when you look at religious people, they, one thing that religion does is it kind of helps take care of like the free rider issue and that religious people are, are more likely to be more giving, not just to giving to their churches, but also to secular charities. Uh, religious people are, are big, uh, charitable givers to like, um, AIDS prevention stuff in Africa. Wait, this is encouraging. Are you giving me statistics for, that you've seen somewhere? Well, yeah. This is this is from the book <laughs> the, the Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And he kind of like describes, you know, the conservative... We as liberals like to say that people in the heartland are tricked by the GOP into voting for them because the GOP hurts them it doesn't hurt them financially but it benefits the rich but that's not really the correct way to view it because these people are religious and from their perspective it's like five pillars of morality care fairness loyalty authority and sanctity um liberals like myself we tend to only care about uh care and and uh fairness but we don't really care about loyalty to the country. It's just like not on our thing. And that's, that's the thing that religious kind of forms a community. So you're more loyal to both your, your religion and your country. Authority, relig- the conservative religious people, because there's things in the Bible that say that you should cede to authority, no? And then sanctity, they put um, value on certain things like a cross or something. Whereas liberals, like, I don't, I don't care about the symbolism. Um, but it's when they when they make these decisions electorally, for example, when they voted for Trump in 2016, when you excuse these behaviors, it's they understand that the, the GOP is going to give tax cuts to the to the wealthy and not them. But they also understand 
from their perspective that the GOP is more respectful of authority. They're more respectful of sanctity. And that's why the GOP politically, the, the Republicans in general, are so good at winning elections because they can play on these five dimensions of morality, whereas liberals only have two. And sometimes you have a guy like Barack Obama that kind of brings it all together. But as we see, Barack Obamas are rare. Um, but in general, uh, religious people do uh, donate more. They're more giving because it's, it's hard to get humans to do the right thing. So it's easier to do the right thing if God tells you to do it. So they, they give more charitable to both secular and religious. And they also uh, donate more blood in general. So... And, and it's because humans are not good at always doing we're selfish by nature and and some some even there's like the Ayn Rand conservatives embrace selfishness selfishness um, so it's good to have these things in our society to kind of combat that and it's also a valuing of traditions and and um, but it's kind of this tug and war that that they kind of keep society together in certain ways. Yes, that's interesting. I wish I could remember the five things, but you it kind of that's encouraging to me to hear that. I'm not sure I would have guessed that that's necessarily true. <laughs> but um that is the positive point of religion is trying to steer people to be more compassionate, to care for others, and to do the right thing to help everybody, not just, just themselves. And just like one more so. thing, it's like we want, like a secular person like myself, one of the reasons I'm not religious is I just cannot logically get behind the stories that you're, they're saying. But if we look throughout history, religion has always existed with humanity. They, they might be different religions, but there has always been religion. And now we're like the most scientifically advanced we've ever been, and religion still exists within society. So it's almost like it's impossible to purge. Exactly. And the, the thing is, I, we, we need to go stop talking just, just specifically about Christianity but religion in general is something that people, humans, create. And yeah. the essence of religion, to me, is humans trying to understand why we're here, how this all came into being, and is there is there a God who created it? You know, like trying to... Or, or not, uh, just about all religions kind of come to the conclusion or push the, the idea that all this universe that we're seeing was came into being and created by God. <clears throat> and so it, it, it's a universal, human, inquisitive thing. And then the religions try to postulate <laughs> how this God did it <laughs> and, and what this God, um, you know, is like and, and, and wants of us. So that's sort of, it's a, 
Scientific American, the latest issue, I'm a big Scientific American reader, just has a really interesting article on why our specific species turned out to be on top. It, the Neanderthals, which we tend to look at as being stupid and primitive cavemen, you know, mm -hmm. with a big furrowed yeah. brow and everything, yeah. actually had larger brains than ours. And they, they also had um, religious rituals. They, they um, honored their, and buried their dead and mm -hmm. et cetera. And uh, there was basically four branches of the human, what you would call homo sapiens. And ours is the one that came out on top and we're the only ones left now. And the postulation of this thing is because we were friendly. And <laughs> so, hmm. I always so, thought it was brutal genocide. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, it's because because we would lose to the to to you know the the Neanderthals were bigger, stronger, and, and possibly more intelligent. But um, mm. what we had going for us is the friendly gene, and mm. they and it's they they explain how that changes like the the skull the skulls. Um, composition you know the the way it looks the furrowed brow recedes mm -hmm. and stuff and they do examples with animals too whereas they become friendlier their physical appearance changes but the 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 upshot here is that by being friendly and 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 getting together in community our species was better than the other human species at working together to, you know, for everyone to create a, a better life or, or whatever. But that's, that's ultimately that this just a postulated theory that these guys are expressing at this point, but it's, it's, it's really interesting that it's like the friendliness of us that, mm -hmm. that is what has, um, <laughs> caused us to you know like rise above the other things and, and and along with that friendliness goes interconnectedness and you know like labor sharing and, and everything so we can achieve far greater things as a community than we possibly could as individuals mm -hmm. so but <laughs> they even explain so you hear that you go well, how come we got all these wars and how come you know, if we're so friendly, how come we're still bashing heads and shooting each other? Because <laughs> so, we're chimps. <laughs> yeah. That's and they why. kind of have an explanation of that too. A part of the friendliness is friends gather together in their communities, but then other communities of friends that are gathered together yeah, are threatening to, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the people feel threatened by like the other, yeah. you know, which is what Trump, you know, like um, pushes, you know, this fear of the other. Tribalism and, is a very natural human yeah. state. There was this guy that did this study where he took these kids to camp uh, and then he had them like kind of, he set up a summer camp and he had two groups of kids kind of close enough where they would eventually interact with each other, but neither knew that they were there. And they just formed such a, like their group hated the other group. It's like these boys, you know, it's like uh, the, what's that famous book? 
the one on the island. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, Lord, of, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. It was yeah. like that. Like it just happens naturally. Humans are very tribal. And the way that they did it is they turned it into a baseball camp or something. But it was just like, a real, like the kids, um, they found a, a stream to hang out at or like a little lake type thing. And they, they claimed it as theirs. And then they came back the next day and they found stuff that they had actually left behind themselves but forgot. And they, they were mad about it because they felt like someone had invaded their space, even though it was actually stuff that they had left there. But it's just, it's a natural, it's a natural state. We are tribal. And so tribalism is both bad, but it's also just something that happens naturally. Exactly. It is both bad and good. It could, it's... The, the best part about it is that aspect of people banding together exactly. to care for themselves by um, splitting up the labor, you know? So, mm -hmm. and I mean, we're talking right now on Zoom on computers and that could only happen by people, <laughs> you know, um, by, by having a society come together and education and all that. And some people that are geeks figuring out how to write computer codes so we can talk to each other on zoom. So yeah. that, that only happens with cooperation in, in the species. No, no one person is going to put all this together. So in a way now than ever before, you know, it's not the days of Davy Crockett anymore. It's not rugged individualism. We all need each other more than we've ever needed each other in the past, mm -hmm. possibly. Or maybe we've always needed each other. But it's, um, and that's the, the disconcerting thing about this split that I keep coming back yeah. to, this 50-50 split. We need, we all need each other so bad, but We've got half to. I just forgot what I was going to say. Uh... Ah, it's that rugged individualism. It's it's the it's the reason why we can't get people to put on masks in America. It's it's kind of this thing that made America the most richest country in the world. That's also killing America right now. It's because we have this uniquely cultural thing of rugged individualism, particularly on the right, where it's pick yourself up by your bootstraps and all this nonsense. Um, and, and I think that's it's part, it's part of the reason the country is great and it's part of the reason the country is suffering so much right now, more so than other countries that don't have that concept. It's, America's very, very unique in that. They're very embracing of the individual. Don't tread on me and all this such stuff that can be used terribly or it can be used good it can be used to don't don't uh don't keep your don't have the government tell me what i can do with my body with in regards to abortion that's that's a good way that you can have the individualism get let it leave it up to the individual but yeah so that's yeah i mean this whole country is is founded on the rugged individual thing and that's a lot of the conservative um, leanings is the government takes that individualism away and, you know, screw the government. We don't tell us what to do. You know, we'll pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we'll do things our way and F you. So it's, um, but, um, <laughs> let me, uh, just to 
throw a curveball in the here, so to speak. There's a couple quotes that I kind of was looking at as for this thing, and one of my favorite church quotes is Leo DeRocher. He was the, I think the, wasn't he the Dodgers manager for the longest time? So, yes, baseball is like church. Many attend, few understand. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice one. It's a, and, um, there's that, to the hypocrisy thing. And this is why I was encouraged to hear you say that the, um, did the studies indicate that religious people are more giving? Because I actually could see it the other way. I could see some, again, this is the split. The, the fundamentalist conservatives, Christians, think that you shouldn't give people you know, something who have nothing because you're just enabling them to, to not get anywhere. And, you know, yeah. it's a like, uh, hand, give them a hand up, not a hand out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of philosophy. And it's like, they're not going to give a dollar to the guy on the street corner with a sign because it's just enabling them to not get it together and get it, get a job. <laughs> so so uh, I, I love this BB King quote. He says, I'd have me a hat or box or something in front of me. People that would request a gospel song would always be very polite to me. And they'd say, son, you're mighty good. Keep it up. You're going to be great one day. But they never put anything in the hat. <laughs> this was in his early days on the street corner, just playing blues guitar in the yeah. corner with the hat out there. He says, but people that would ask me to sing a blues song would always tip me. And maybe give me a beer. They always would do something of that kind. Sometimes I'd make 50 or $60 one Saturday afternoon. Now you know why I'm a blues singer. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, and it's just a final one that I liked from the, the Faith Club book. One of the quotes in it was, The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. So that's... You know, what from this is from a United Methodist liberal perspective. This is a misunderstanding, and it's promulgated by by the fundamentalist evangelical Christians. You know, God said it, therefore that's how it is. And the story, it's um, the more mature, faithful people understand that doubt's part of it. It's okay to doubt. We don't know. I don't know if God exists. I don't know if there's life after death. But it's, uh, you know, but I, I do know that if you live as if... That's why we're recording. Okay. So, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Tell me what I was saying. Uh, how Jesus resisted. Oh, yeah. Before. Okay. So it's it's just the, the, the incredible, like, mystifying conundrum that Christianity is based on Jesus, who stood up to the authoritarians and, like, said that more important than laws, what to do, what God said to do, is doing the right loving thing that a the church in honor of him in 
some cases has gone and done the same thing, created Pharisee-like laws, tried to tell people what to believe and how to believe and how to behave and why to behave that way and everything, all of which Jesus was opposed to. Jesus simply wanted people to treat each other respectfully and kindly. I mean, the golden rule, you know, should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's that simple. <laughs> so, so it's um, it, it it's just surprising. And again, it's like humans have this tendency to take something and run with it and create a monolithic legalistic (laughs) system that did did is completely like you know removed from in many cases the opposite from what they started out to do Mm -hmm. you know so it's and so that's part of religion is always trying to you know uh bring yourself back to reality christianity for mature Christians who understand it, understand that Christianity has never been about telling people exactly what to do and exactly what theology is and everything. Throughout its history, there's been these arguments on both sides. And it's, it's, it's a progressive religion, actually. People, people don't understand it uh, who are on the outside of it. But, um, you know, we're studying a book right now the people's history of christianity and it's, it's really in, in the group i'm in it's really interesting because i didn't realize that you know what people consider the hook line and sinker um view of what christian what christians believe in everything that that's been questioned throughout the ages that's it's you know it, it changes all the time what people think and express that the the religion like believes so well i think that that's a good note to end on uh i really appreciate you having this conversation with me dad i think that it was a good one i definitely learned a lot about uh your perspective and where you're coming from and for those who have listened this long thank you uh that's going to be our time